The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the third chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. The other Christian doctrines, Christian teachings, baptism, holy baptism is often misunderstood or misrepresented. There are Christians, and there are Christians, but misguided, who say that baptism is just a symbol, just represents something. It represents our being incorporated into Jesus Christ. It's kind of like a participant award, a blue ribbon. Others, they are convinced that baptism itself is only for a certain class of people, namely adults, or people that can exercise, as they say, their own will, those who choose it, those who choose Christ for themselves, they say that's who baptism is for. There are indeed a lot of people that are convinced by such ideas, but the basis for those ideas has no support in Holy Scripture. A religious washing, which is what baptism is broadly, is not a new thing, and it wasn't a new thing at the time of our Lord's own ministry, and his own baptism. There are individual instances that you'll find of it in the Old Testament. You'll find it going on with the Levitical priests and holy men of Israel. You'll find Naaman the Syrian commander even being told by the prophet to go and wash himself in a river. You'll find ceremonial washing, religious washing of certain utensils, not just putting them in the sink to merely be clean, but having a religious significance attached to them. And so it was when John the Baptist appeared on the scene, his baptizing would not have been seen as something so terribly novel. What is this that he's doing? No. Now, while it was not yet what John was doing Christian baptism as we know it and as we have it, it was something that was foreshadowing the Christian baptism that we know and have, the same way that he prepared the way for Jesus himself. We know that for John and his baptizing, baptism and repentance went together, just as in Christ's own baptism. But still John's baptism and all those people that came out to him to be washed ceremoniously, washed religiously in the Jordan, that was just a placeholder. A placeholder that is formally and explicitly removed after our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You have Jesus with his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel after Easter, standing with them on a hill in Galilee, and he tells them what we now call the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' own words at the end of Mark's gospel echo the same sentiment. Whoever believes and is baptized, Jesus says, will be saved. The differences between John's baptism that he was doing in the Jordan and Jesus' baptism are obvious right off the bat. 
In the first place, you have, with Jesus' baptism, a name. A name that is invoked, a name that is spoken, a name that is given. While indeed, as you heard from Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism by John, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all there. The Son there with John in the river, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and the Father's voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. It doesn't tell us that John's baptism was done in any sort of particular name. It's almost as if you can picture him pouring water or dunking in water and letting that be it without anything being said. But for Christian baptism, we have the name of God. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Second, according to Mark's gospel, Jesus before his ascension, when he talks about baptism, he connects it with being saved. He connects baptism itself with salvation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. To sum it up in a short way, Christ, Jesus, through his baptism, he does something. He writes God's name on us. He makes his disciples. He saves us. And it doesn't stop here. Thanks to Luke, Paul, and Peter, after these accounts, we know more about what that something that God does in our baptism is. Now, Bible scholars here will be quick to point out, Pastor, eh, Luke's gospel doesn't mention baptism, at least not Jesus' baptism. Well, true enough, but it's inaccurate to say that Luke himself does not mention it. Luke also wrote the book of Acts that chronicles the apostolic church, both the life and the history, and the theology of what those early Christians in that early church believed. And what do we hear about baptism in Luke's book of Acts? We hear a lot about it. Throughout those, those people who come to faith in Luke's book of Acts, they are always baptized. But Peter's, they are, they, they are baptized. And Peter's Pentecost sermon kicks it off right towards the beginning of the book. Be baptized, he exhorts his crowd for the forgiveness of sins. In Acts 22 in the temple, we're told from the apostles that they ought to be baptized, to wash away sins. Right there, Luke's telling us what this baptism that Jesus left his church with does. It affects forgiveness. It cleanses, cleanses from sin. Now, moving on, the apostle Paul, who wrote the not the lion's share, but half of the New Testament, or half of the books anyway, he's always rich with imagery in his writing. But more than just rhetoric, he's always with his imagery communicating essential truths. He's trying to be a good pastor, teaching his people what God's truths truly are. Like you say, for example, he talks about the Christian church is one body with many different members. And in that, he's not saying that we are like the body of Christ, but we are essentially the body of Christ. And he does the same, Paul, with baptism. In Romans 6, you know these familiar words, he says, all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. We've been buried through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we might too walk in new life. 
And to the Galatians, Paul says another thing. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have been put on Christ. Which is to say you've been clothed with Christ. You are covered with Christ if you have been baptized. And to Titus, young pastor Titus, Paul says this. Familiar words from our catechism. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is baptism? To Titus, it is a washing of regeneration, making us new creations. Now for some of you, probably, hopefully, most of you, this is old hat. Heard it before, I know it. But for others, I hope this is a reminder. A reminder of a valuable thing that you individually possess. It is yours and no one can take it away. You were baptized. You were washed with water in the name of God. When and where it happened, and even how it happened, that doesn't matter so much. If it was done according to Jesus Christ's institution, you have a treasure something of great value, something of great comfort, and something of immense hope. Its promise and its seal, this baptism is the adoption of God to become one of his children, is something to hang your hat on in life. As the Father said to Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved Son, he said it to you at your baptism when he put his name on you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is what has happened in your baptism, and it is the present reality for your life. Not as somebody who was baptized, however long ago, but somebody who today, right now, is baptized. I am baptized. You can wake up and say that every morning of your life until the Lord calls you home, and it is an absolutely true statement, and you have a lot of fringe benefits. Not even fringe benefits, they're just benefits that go along with having been baptized. We recall it. We recall it every time we are gathered here on the Lord's Day. And so as we remember the baptism of our Lord, this epiphany season, I want you today and always to remember what the Lord has done for you in your baptism. What God does for you still in your baptism. If you, for whatever reason, find yourself questioning or doubting God and his mercy, God and his love towards you, I want you to return to your baptism. God's promises in his word about what he has done. Remember his actions for you and your salvation. That is the sure foundation of your Christian life. And I hope it is the buttress for your Christian hope. Amen.